This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Welcome to it. This is Thursday, the 28th of February, 2019. Welcome to it. This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. My name is Arabile Gumede and of course, joined in studio by none other than Nastasia Aronsa. Sad day, Tash. Bittersweet. Right? Okay. So, just a quick announcement just to let you all know. We are, uh, sadly, this is the last day for Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. We officially do come off air from today onwards. But we certainly will finish off with a bang. Still a lot to talk about. Of course, yesterday, that big climb from multi-choice, right? What happened with that share price? Jeepers. Climbing as much as 11 well, as much as 16% throughout the day and managing to close at 11% higher. We'll chat about all of that uh, a little bit later on as well. And a tax expert argued in Parliament that uh, revenue collection has consistently fallen short of budget revenue forecasts since 2014, raising questions over the reliability of Treasury's forecasting models. So we'll speak to Cal Mandis, the tax policy leader at PwC. So what next for AME? Of course, yes, classic business breakfast goes off air, but there's so many plans in place. And uh, the CEO of uh, of AME, Dave Tiltman, will join us in studio to have a conversation about that at around 7.30. And in our cappuccino with the CEO, we speak to Dr. Adrian Saville, who is the CEO of Canon Asset Managers. We normally speak to him about mostly investing in the economy and all kinds of uh, topics, but this time we're going to try and get to know him a little better, uh, where his career started, and basically anything and everything, and most importantly, the sports question. That's going to be <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, so all of that and more is coming up. Yep. This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Although we expected a few gains, maybe, it was uh, uh, half-mast for some of the day with uh, the market trading pretty much flat across most of the day, but managed to fall by close with Nasparis posting what was a sharp drop following the separate listing of its pay TV service. It fell around 55 billion rand in market value just from the split off from multi-choice which managed to close 11 percent higher that's at 106 rand and one cents let's remember that it did start the day at 95 rand 50 if i'm not mistaken uh it did give the group a market share of 46 billion rand and now also sits in the top 40 all right so that's quite interesting uh, as to how things happen there so we'll chat about all of that as i said a little bit later on but your share managing uh just a little bit there and uh sitting at 56,298 points uh banks lost around eight tenths of a percent industrials around a quarter of a percent there platinum added 1.8 percent with the resources index one and a third of a percent down gold indices uh rather the gold price also around half a percent low of course a little bit of a focus there on that u.s uh and uh, north korea summit as well happening out in hanoi vietnam of course the interesting elements there will be just what happens with regards to that summit so a bit of a backseat for the trade negotiations as well at present but those will remain in focus brexit is also quite key economic news expected to be released today includes producer price inflation as measured uh, as well there as uh, as ppi in a sense it is expected to rise five percent in the month of january so we'll see how things fare on that front it's 13 rand 94 
for a US dollar. It's 15 rand 86 for a euro. The British pound will set you back 18 rand 54 uh, as well. Checking in on how things are looking out in Asia this morning. It's uh, down a third of a percent for the Nikkei. It's at 21,473 points. 2,943 for the Shanghai Composite. Also down a third of a percent. The Hang Seng out in Hong Kong is pretty much flat with a slightly positive bias at 28,775. $1,318.90 a fine ounce for gold. Platinum is at $866.55 a fine ounce. Brent crude, 66 and 17 cents a barrel. This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Eight minutes after seven. Uh, to talk more in depthly on the markets, uh, we're joined in studio by Michael Trahone, who's a portfolio manager at Vestec. Michael, we got, I suppose, a snippet of what happened uh, yesterday. From your point of view, how did you assess everything? Yeah, in the last few days, it's more been markets trumbling along slightly in the red, slightly in the green. Um, uh, it hasn't really been major market movers. Um, at the moment, uh, all eyes still on what's happening with Brexit. There seems to be some clarity there. The pound strengthening quite well yesterday um, as uh, falling out without a deal definitely seems to be taken off the table now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's assuming that uh, uh, the EU actually allows them an extension. Um, so that's a very big assumption. Uh, I'm glad to say that uh, U.S.-China trade talks is no longer dominating the news. But mm-hmm. now we've got Trump in other facets where he's uh, <laughs> negotiating with Rocket Man and uh, where his ex-lawyer is busy uh, talking badly about him in front of Congress. I mean, uh, uh, did we really talk about <laughs> Obama this much? I think like if we spoke about Obama once every six months, it was a lot. I mean, Trump we're talking about on a daily basis. I've always had the feeling, especially you know, since you know, when all the scandals and the stories came out that it distracts from the Make America Great Again mission that, uh, you know, he'd embarked on because you're busy fighting all of these things, trying to blow out fires in different parts of the corner, be it with uh, committee members, etc. So I'm not sure how all of it is going to play out. But just an interesting thing on that Michael Cohen statement. I was saying to Arabile, uh before we started that the Wall Street Journal has a particular article, well, a link that says that uh, highlights to Michael Cohen's statement. And if you click on it, it takes you to a completely separate page of all the articles written last night from the beginning of Michael Cohen's statement, whether it has to do with uh, paying off this person in Russia. And it's the most fascinating, I suppose, form of journalism where you've dedicated so much resources and time. But nonetheless, uh, back to local news, a company news that caught your attention? Yeah, I mean, Tonga can't seem to catch a break. Um, <laughs> off their trading updates on Friday, um, they just keep uh, dropping and the shares now effectively dropped over 50 percent in less than a week mm-hmm. and it, it just highlights the dangers of using uh debt yeah so if you use debt to fuel your growth um it l- works really well while there is growth but uh, as soon as growth slows down you've still got that overhang of the debt burden um and that's what's happening in this case uh, the company f- effectively on friday said we're going to swing from making a 650 million rand profit to making close to a 2 billion rand loss um, and that's I mean, yeah, that, that, that's big considering that its current market cap is three and a half billion. Yeah. And essentially, what the market's saying to you now is that they expect the company to announce a rights issue, um, and a rights issue means that current shareholders going to get uh, will be diluted mm. unless you put more money in. 
Um, and that's uh, that's effectively what's happened. So yesterday, Tonga dropping uh, a further 7.3%. Yeah. It's amazing how quickly some of these things happen. I mean, pre-Steinhoff days, I don't remember any company losing half of its value in a week. Mm. Um, since then, we've had a few. I mean, uh, Aspen did something similar in, in, in September. Uh, EOH, uh, I think, has lost half its value a few times over the last yeah. year. it's uh, It just shows you the negative sentiment that's out there at the moment. Someone was tweeting about the JSC's quarterly index changes and uh, Tonga had been one of them, losing their place in the mid-cap index and now officially becoming a small cap. And, you know, she was remarking that that seemed impossible even a year ago. And um, just aside as well, Investec uh, closing, I think, half a percent higher at 91 Rand. Now um, the headline said that it looks set to drop out of the top 40 index. But news that I suppose I don't get too excited every time, you know, Steinhoff releases a send statement because it has nothing to do with the report that I've been waiting for for the longest time. This time they're saying that, um, you know, the delayed publication of its restated financial results for 2017 and 2018 will now be expected at the end of May. I don't know if I'm looking for... What's an extra month (laughs) when it's already been over a year? So what's really an extra month? Well, we don't get to do it on the show. That's what happens. (laughs) Nonetheless, uh, internationally, everybody was commenting about uh, Powell's statement and yes, he reiterated the fact that, you know, they're going to be playing a sort of wait and see approach for lack of a better description. But what I found quite fascinating was the dollar's negative reaction to Paul's statement, considering that it was not new information and there's not really any fresh insight provided. And it just made me wonder whether we're going to be seeing this kind of reaction when it comes to the dollar every time we get remarks from um, Fed policymakers or even getting economic data out of the U.S.? I mean, how are you seeing that? Yeah, I think it's just he's reinforcing that it's lower for longer. And all the money that had flowed into the U.S. for how many interest rate hikes were we meant to have this year, three or four, Mm. now we're going to have none. Um, And it just reiterates that. And he's taking it one step further where he's saying the huge balance sheet that the Fed had built up during the QE era it's currently in rundown phase. Yeah. And he's saying we might even stop the rundown phase and just make it go sideways for a while. Um, and to have a balance sheet go sideways means that whenever their old treasuries expire, they need to go buy new treasuries. So it means that they're still active in the market. Um, mm-hmm. And that artificially uh, brings down your, your interest rate. So it's, it's just, it's, I think the dollar is just reacting to that. Re, being re-reminded of it. Uh, anyone who's got future predictions are now bringing that forward a bit. Um, but it's, I mean, it's not the end of the world for us. Uh, the Rand's 13.80. That's always nice to see. Mm. Uh, it would be nice at 11, but uh, I'll take 13.80 <laughs> after being at 14.50 last week. All right. The multi-choice listing, uh, Arabila is going to talk to you about that one in uh, just a bit after this break. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Okay, this is a numbers show, so we'll give you the numbers. Starts off at 90, 95 Rand 50, right? Ends the day at 106 Rand and 10 cents. Pretty much gives it a market value then of 46.5 billion Rand at the close of trade. Um, the share price going up 11%, surging as much as 21% in the day to reach around 115 Rand. 
kicks out True Words International um, in, in the same, uh, in the same uh, vein as well. Uh, it makes sure that Nasperus loses uh, 55 billion rand in market value or around 4% of its value to 1.3 trillion rand. It has 7.2 million subscribers just in South Africa alone, 6.7 million across 49 other uh, African states. It is the first listing on the JSC in 2019. How well did uh, Multi-Choice do yesterday? Yeah, I mean, it's always exciting to see a new company coming, particularly large ones that have tens of billions in market cap. Um, it's interesting to see the the dynamics with between Nasbas and MultiChoice, where Nasbas started off the day its market cap dropping by less than what the value of MultiChoice was, mm. and by the end of the day, it had lost more than the value of MultiChoice. But it also it shows how Nasbas is still a global company because yesterday, ten cent was down about a percent. Now you've got to bring in all those factors when you you bring it together. I would expect the multi-choice share price to probably be volatile for the next week or two. Uh, the market's mm. still finding its level. I mean, yeah. you, you remember that prices are determined by demand and supply, and where those forces meet is where the price uncrosses. So was this just excitement, or you know what can we attest this this the sense of of, of gain for uh, multi-choice too then? Because remember that 95.50 was a price determined by the market using the JC's algorithm for an uncrossing. Mm. That could have been anywhere from uh, probably 80 rand all the way up to 200 rand. Uh, people weren't sure where it was going to uncross. So it depends where you draw the mark. A lot of guys are saying it's probably still undervalued at where it is now. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people said we don't want to own multi-choice because we're not sure about its future. Let's get out of it as soon as the market opens. And that effectively artificially brings the price down. Uh, as the day goes on, those sellers are now out of the market. Guys are buying it up. It still trades on a PE of about 8 or 9. Uh, it's very difficult to pin down Multichoice's PE because their earnings have been very, very volatile over the last three years. So yeah. it's difficult to know exactly what you, you – you, you can look at a historic PE, but traditionally you want to look at more forward PE, and that's a very difficult number to calculate at the moment. Um, so call it a PE about 9. A lot of people are saying it needs to be trading on a PE of 12, and if that's the case, its market cap gets over uh, 60 billion rand. So it's uh, still lots of moving parts. What do you say about its future, though? I mean, and, and, I say, and I say this because of all the other streaming services available. I mean, we just have to talk about Netflix alone, and that in itself could be a game changer and a, almost a killer. For Your it. Manchester United shirt that you're wearing this morning, were you watching <laughs> that on Netflix last night? <laughs> no, definitely not. That's so for sure. That Look, on the home market, perhaps, yes. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, with everything else, you know, that be- at some point it's going to eat away, surely, dis- despite the sport. It's, I think it's, there's a few different theories about this, and obviously we'll only know in the future. Netflix is still at a stage where it's the bolt-on acquisition, it's not the replacement acquisition. Um, so I think a lot of millennials, though, potentially never got DSTV, so won't have DSTV. But yeah. for a lot of households who had DSTV, your life, have, have, you've become accustomed to having access to the sport, access to the decoder, the pre-recording, the entertainment. Multi-choice is moving them, themselves to an entertainment platform. Um, and by doing that, there's still a huge cash cow. And remember, there's still the rest of Africa. Mm. Now, m- Netflix and the likes need a very stable internet connection. That's not the case in the rest of Africa. Um, so having it uh, streamed onto your your, uh, your satellite is still very appealing. 
And remember that for multi-choice, their biggest cost is buying the sports rights. Yeah. Now, that's only for premium subscribers. You're, they actually make more money out of the middle-level subscribers because those guys aren't subscribed to really expensive sport, and that's potentially where their growth is. So on the one hand, you say it's a cash cow that's going to produce lots of cash for the next 10 years, or on the other hand, you say it's, it's something that's, that's dwindling or a fading star, and that's mm. the, two, the debate at the moment. I don't think there's a right answer here. It's going to be a tough one. I think the business model has has a few kinks in its armor. And uh, as you said, we'll certainly see how things will be. It will be a bit volatile. And we'll see what it settles at, perhaps... Like at the end of at the end of March, I say, let's see what it settles at and 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 see what happens then. We'll we'll continue to unpack that multi-choice story, hopefully in other formats. But it's seven twenty. Your traffic every morning. Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. 7.23, a tax expert argued in Parliament that revenue collection has consistently fallen short of budget revenue forecasts since 2014, raising questions over the reliability of Treasury's forecasting models. And this raises the danger that the budget deficit will be higher than Treasury's forecast for the 2019-2020 year. And to talk to us a little bit more about it is PwC tax policy leader Kyle Mandy. Kyle, thank you so much for your time this morning. Before we get into the actual I suppose reasoning why you know revenue collection always falls short of uh, the forecast perhaps you could talk to us about how Treasury's forecasting models work yes certainly so the way the models work uh, is uh, that they, they use the projected uh, nominal economic growth for the year uh, against that they, they, they look at what the tax base is from the prior year and make uh, whatever adjustments need to be made to that tax base to, to be more realistic. Um, and then they apply what we term a, a buoyancy ratio to that, to that to determine what the tax revenues are going to be. So to explain what a buoyancy ratio is, uh, if our tax revenues are going to grow at the same pace as the economy grows, uh, you will have a tax buoyancy ratio of one. If they're going to, if revenues are expected to grow quicker than uh, the pace at which the economy grows, uh, you'll have a buoyancy that exceeds one. Right. At uh, this rate, then, uh, where is the tax buoyancy rate sitting at? So for for the next year, uh, Treasury's used a, a tax buoyancy of one point three one. To, to determine the, uh, the the revenues for the year. Now that takes into account two two things uh, crucially. Uh, the first is that the, the the 15 billion rands worth of tax increases which have been proposed for the year, and also makes adjustments to the baseline uh, for uh, the carrying of the VAT refund backlog uh, uh, in the current year that we're in as well. Uh, when you factor all of that out, what does seemingly using the tax buoyancy of one. So in other words, that the, when you take out all of those tax increases in the baseline adjustments, that they expect that the, the tax uh, the tax revenues are going to grow in line with the, the rate of growth in the economy. Right. And having fallen consistently short of budget revenue forecasts since 2014, what are some of the reasons behind that? Well, I think there the, are the three key reasons. One is obviously slower than expected economic growth. Uh, the second is that unquestionably there has been a decline in the levels of tax compliance or tax morality. So in other words, taxpayers have not been paying what they should be paying and are taking steps to either avoid or evade taxes. And the third one 
which we, we're all aware of given the, the recent uh, developments, uh, is the poor performance of SaaS in actually collecting revenues itself. So those, those are the three factors that have played a role. It's difficult to determine exactly what, uh, to what extent each of those factors has played a role, but they all have played some role or another. Right. So one might think that uh, perhaps Treasury is then placing too much uh, store in the ability of SARS to constantly improve its performance. Is there a way out of it or do they always have to rely on SARS and SARS' ability to collect uh, attacks and perhaps even improve on the compliance and morality side of things? Well, ultimately, yes. Uh, SARS is the, the institution that is responsible for collecting taxes. They're the ones who are responsible for enforcing compliance. The, the, the difficulty is that uh, SARS has lost a lot of skills uh, and, and capacity over the last few years or so. So you, you get the sense that uh, Treasury are, are putting their faith in a, in, a, in a quick recovery on the part of SARS to collect taxes. And, and our concern is that that faith is, is, is a bit misplaced in the short term. It's going to take a number of years for SARS to, to be restored to the position that it was in previously. So to, to expect that they're going to, to be able to collect uh, or significantly improve their performance in, 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 in the space of a year, uh, I think is a little bit uh, uh, misconceived. Right. The, the, cru- the crucial aspect here is that uh, you know, although they are using exponency of, of, of uh, 1.31, and as I said, once you take out max certain adjustments, it's a buoyancy of 1. Even with the very significant tax increases we've seen in the last three years, uh, we, we, as a country, we haven't exceeded the tax buoyancy of one, even with those with those very significant increases. So, so that is the concern that there is an expectation that we're suddenly going to to be able to uh, significantly exceed the buoyancies that actually achieved in the last three years. Hmm. How confident are you that we'll be able to see the SARS that I suppose we can all be proud of that is able to optimize tax collections uh, from you know particular individuals and fix some of the structures that fell apart? Look, I'm confident it will happen, and, uh, and, it, and as a country, it needs to happen. So, but it's, as I say, it's going to take time. They, they need to get those key skills back into, into SARS. Many of those officials, that have, senior officials that have left with those skills, they've got to tra- attempt to try and attract them back. Um, it, <laughs> To be realistic, they're not going to be able to attract all of them back. We need to have to find new skills as well to bring in. So, so the, the, the real issue is that it's going to take them a number of years to rebuild. And even once you've got the skills back to 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 uh, redevelop the systems um, and start actually uh, reaping the benefits of those skills, it's also going to take time itself. Kyle, thank you so much for your time this morning. That's Kyle Mandy, who is a tax policy leader at PwC, talking to us about some of the doubts that have been raised over Treasury's tax revenue forecasts. About 30 seconds early, but let's have a look at uh, news headlines. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. All right, let's get into conversation now. Before our cappuccino with the CEO, we speak to another CEO and a CEO of a different kind. We have David Tiltman joining us in studio, the CEO of AME. Dave, so yes, Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb off the air today, but there's a whole range of other plans that AME has in store. 
Yeah, it's been quite a, a brisk three months since I took over in end of November last year. And uh, obviously, we, we want to turn the business around, and um, there's quite a few key, a key areas of focus that, are, that, are the need, that I need to pay attention to. So um, obviously, um, in terms of our, our, our group of subsidiary companies, um, there's quite a few businesses, Classic, um, Algo FM in Port Elizabeth, and also OFM. Um, we, we definitely do need um, certain results and an improvement of the bottom line of some of our companies. Mm-hmm. and. I think I'll be paying quite a lot, a lot of attention to that. Mm. What areas do you think specifically need to be a key focus area? I mean, t- taking a look at your at your offerings, do you see the financial aspect? And I only speak about that particularly because of the show we're at being a you know a solid part of those platforms in some way or other, at the very least. Yeah, I think MoneyWeb is is obviously what we're talking about here, and um, definitely there's a massive potential for for MoneyWeb to grow, um, and. Uh, the synergies across the group are, are ideal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the key areas that I'm going to plan to drive is, is synergies across the group. So you're definitely going to be seeing a lot more or hearing a lot more mm-hmm. of uh, MoneyWeb product and uh, business news information across our networks. Mm-hmm. How do you increase footprint, though, on some of the other products you have in terms of uh, radio offering? Because it's quite significant and quite all right to, to get that footprint gro- uh, growing as much as possible in order to, as you said, uh, uh, increase that bottom line too. Um, in terms of footprint, we we pretty much um, reached saturation point um, okay. for the radio stations. Yeah. Highly regulated industry, so um, uh, stations like Algo FM are already cover- covering massive areas, uh, mm. twenty one transmitter sites, which is quite high from an operational expense perspective. So we've got the whole, just about um, the whole of the western half of the Eastern Cape and some of the um, garden route covered by Algoa. And then OFM covers a large part of Central South Africa, including Northern Cape and uh, Northwest. So Mm. it's um, a massive footprint. So to grow it isn't probably highly likely. And and then Classic is is, is a one transmitter business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... How do you take it forward then? How do you take you know any any of the stations sort of forward in in what is it then a saturated market? What do you then do to make it better to uh, keep the consumers you have and keep them enticed in the way the business model is run? How the radio stations keep going as well? Uh, what do you what do you do differently from here on? You think? Well, I think there's, there's three key areas. Um, Algoa um, in the Eastern Cape is the, currently the number one commercial radio station in South Africa, and that's quite a, a huge accolade. It was the first business outside of outside of Gauteng to get that award. So sure. they're really on top form and, and doing really well. Obviously, there's always room for improvement. Mm. So um, one would look at probably three things. One is it's just continue to market the business better. Uh, both Algo and OFM are, are, are mature businesses, so um, you know they've got a, a, a solid track record and, mm. and will continue down a certain path. And there's only so much cost one can contain. So I mm. think just moving on to what I said earlier, I think the synergies are definitely there. So we need to look at synergies across the group, uh, which will help a little bit on the cost side. There's definitely ways. Uh, good examples are, are sharing programming between um, OFM and Algoa. So right. uh, both stations have similar uh, formats and uh, presenter pools and and some somewhere in between i think we can definitely improve on that mm. so it's it, it's it's marketing um, growing audience which has been quite tough for our secondary market businesses but but it's always going to be a focus of ours and growing into new audiences as well and then and then the third 
is new revenue opportunities. Mm. And, and therein lies, I think, an opportunity for businesses like uh, MoneyWeb to, to come on board with the how, other how are you, businesses. How have you found that part of the business? I mean, how difficult has it been? The new revenue opportunities is something that you're not the only media entity sort of looking for that. The, the traditional way of sort of advertising or getting funding for media uh, companies is sort of being done away with or is a perhaps you know, old-fashioned and, 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 and a bit of a struggle. How do you then make sure that you are part of a, a part of the change and fit well into you know perhaps the brands that you'd like to to continue to be a part of the operations you have yeah well you you're correct i mean the way um, companies and agencies are buying is changing quite rapidly mm. and uh, we've got to keep abreast of of those changes we've got a, a very solid um, sales house based in the national market united stations which is one of our subsidiaries so they obviously drive a, a lot a lot of that and then um, in terms of the business going forward, um, revenue opportunities, are, everyone's dabbling in, in the digital side of things. So definitely for us, we're continuing to play in that space and, and look at growing that. But it's it's still a small percentage of our business. So mm. even the radio stations are becoming more like media companies as opposed to just being yeah. narrow-minded and, and radio-focused. And then I think uh, from an events perspective, there's definitely opportunities across the group. Sure event sponsorships activation so there's various ways that one can skin that revenue cat and um, growing up in the secondary market i've certainly learned how to 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 mine nice and deep yeah dev i'm going to put you on the spot here and this one is going to be the worst one of them all who are the best talents you have in the ame group here's a hint there is a right answer and they should be right in front of you (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is the easiest question of the lot. And uh, let's confess confessions. It's only was well, only Thursday, but I I guess I'll do confessions early this week. <laughs> right, so this this show was my idea. <laughs> and um at the end of the day, I think it was a fantastic concept. Uh, yeah. I think it was it was uh, was 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 brand new. It it was ready for for our national market and I think it really uh, I really felt it, it, it was going to be a, a massive success. Unfortunately, the numbers told us a different story. But yeah. um, for me, um, I'm, I'm certainly proud of the way you guys have performed on air. I think with with Classic 1027, the show for me has been you know a, a huge positive in many ways. Um, unfortunately, it is ending today, which is quite a difficult business decision to make. Mm-hmm. But um, I still believe that we can put it in cotton wool and, and look at another option. Um, going down the line, moving forward, I, I, I'm exploring <laughs> different avenues for broadcasting. And, that and must these be days, the toughest thing to do right now, though, like you just have to take something that was your brainchild. Yeah. And then it was, it was it probably, yeah, it was a hard decision, and I didn't make too many people happy. But uh, <laughs> I had to make a decision, and um, I made this one. But from from my perspective, yeah, um, Arabile and Nastasha, you've done a fantastic job, and. Congratulations. I think you've really set the tone and, and I certainly believe there is life after the show on this station with us at AME. Thank Here's you. a fun fact about our very own Dave Tiltman. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about me? So basically, <laughs> like every show pretty much, Tash just winds up with these fa- uh, these new facts that yeah, we don't she, know she where they come lot, from. She does. <laughs> she, re- she knows how to use Google, that's for sure. Dave Tiltman used to be a radio DJ many, many, many years ago. 
You see? <laughs> <laughs> so you want to take over for the next couple of uh, couple of minutes? Yeah, I'd love to. Can I interview you? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> okay, so you've just got back from Old Trafford. What is it? What is it like? Yeah, look, you know, going to Old Trafford is, has always been a boyhood boyhood dream. So it wasn't really just about the game, which was obviously the point. And, and obviously I watched Manchester United versus Liverpool. But it's really about being in the city, being in the crowd. And I was at the Stratford end, which is considered the loudest part of that stadium. So uh, it was absolutely fun. It was uh, an, an atmosphere like no other. And I've been to the El Clasico even. And this was 10 times better. And yet there was a draw in the game. So it was great. Oh, well, I'm very, very proud of you. I mean, you support Man United, and I'm a Spurs <laughs> supporter. So it's normally this time of the season when we realize that we no longer want to challenge for league titles and FA Cups You know and what? Things. We still might so, catch you um, Yeah, so that would worry me. <laughs> but uh, certainly, um, my, my late brother was a huge fan, and, and yeah, so it's good to see you in the red and black. Do you, in the, do you, do you watch black, any yeah. other sports, Dave? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge sports fanatic. Uh, I love live music, uh, concerts. I've been to see oh, okay. just about everyone who's ever been on stage. Um, Even Justin Bieber? No, I missed that one. <laughs> I missed that one, one, one direction I also missed. Oh, but I did get to see Madonna um, oh, in okay. London. And then um, sport-wise, it's quite difficult growing up in Port Elizabeth. Well, I support the Southern Kings because uh, one of our brands is involved with that. Okay team but um the warriors cricket team yeah. but now that i'm living in in johannesburg most of the time i think i'm gonna have to yeah. change some the lines either yeah. way you look at it are always a good bet so i'm gonna have to get myself a spider-man rugby jersey yes you know what i mean yeah with that one <laughs> do it asap <laughs> dave tilvin really really appreciated the ceo of ame just really in conversation about ame the way forward and what where to from here and we'll continue with another conversation with another CEO right after this. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. 7.43. I love our off-air conversations. Um if you're caught in between laughs before you go into the next interview, it can be a bit distracting. But nonetheless, uh, next cappuccino with uh, the CEO. It's none other than Dr. Adrian Saville, who's the CEO of Canon Asset Managers. The thing is, normally when we talk to uh, Dr. Saville, we're talking either about interest rates, uh, the economy, or getting some kind of commentary with regards to various aspects of the economy. But uh, he has a long, extensive background. And I was reading just some of the things about uh, Dr. Saville. In 1994, while completing his doctorate in economics, he formed an investment vehicle which became the forerunner to Canon Asset Managers, which he founded in 1998. Uh, in 2017, Bitvest Financial Services acquired Canon Asset Managers, and today he serves as the chief executive at uh, Canon Asset Managers. But who is he? And he joins us on the line. Dr. Saville, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on the show. Good morning. So one of my friends who found out that you're going to be on the show um, sharing your story mentioned to me that you used to be his lecturer at the University of uh, Kuzugla Natal. And, you know, it just made the story even more fascinating. Perhaps you can uh, take us back to where it all started. How did you find yourself in the investment space as an economist? Was it always some, a career that you wanted to pursue? Uh, I think it was a case of uh, perhaps not quite love at first sight, but uh, certainly a very early love um, and uh, a fascination that has 
stayed with me from from a very young age all the way uh, to now. Um, and I've got no reason to that it will go away. The world of uh, investment, finance, economics is is a constantly changing world. Uh, it uh, it parades as a science, yet uh, deals with all of the complexities and unknowns of uh, human behavior, uh, history, geography, politics, <laughs> all of these uh, hard-to-nail-down elements uh, feed into trying to understand uh, and manage the world of economics and finance. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's a, a, a career, a profession that I've also have uh, of having been in love for for decades. Right. So do you remember when you started having, I suppose, financial awareness at which age? Mines would have to be 13. Do you remember what age you started realizing, oh my gosh, this pocket money and I got to spend and save and that kind of stuff? <laughs> um, now I'll give away my age. <laughs> The the first time you know I, I sort of knew that this thing uh, had intrigued me and and got my my attention was uh, when I would listen to uh, listen to the radio uh, uh, each evening uh, to the stock market report <laughs> where share prices were read out one by one uh, at the end of the day I ran a uh, a fictitious portfolio a paper portfolio I was about the same age that you describe, I was about 13 years old, and I would have absolute delight if my father happened to bring home a business day uh, newspaper, and um, uh, I could trawl through the pages of uh, of business. Um, and you know, share prices led me to. Uh, uh, commodity prices, which led me to currencies, which led to me to to economics, which led me to to politics. The, you know, the time that I was thirteen was well, Dr. Seville, Africa being uh, in an in an apartheid crisis, and you had the rand being frozen, capital markets going into suspense. Uh, so it was a it was a very clear illustration that this is a that this is a complex and fast changing world. Most people who either come on the show or that we either interact with on a personal basis will always mention that aspects of their childhood shaped the person who they've become uh, well into their adulthood. What was your childhood like? Um, I think, uh, you know, a couple of aspects, uh, you know, really stay with me and stand out. The one is the 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 permanent uh, investment of my parents in me uh, as an individual uh, and of course you know in my brother and sister also uh, but that's a that's a standout feature um you know i'd like to <laughs> describe myself as well-rounded and balanced i was probably anything but um uh, the the academic aspect of my life uh, you know achieving i guess in the classroom uh, really only happened when I went to university. Uh, that was in the the second half of the 80s. At that time, uh, South Africa was a was not the country it is today, and so I was raised in a in an economically and politically aware uh, environment, and I became politically involved uh, through my young adult life. Uh, 
Um, uh, but uh, you know, if I if I describe myself as being an ordinary South African, I don't think there is any such thing. Uh, but what I would describe uh, is a which I had the constant uh, interest, support, care, love, attention, discipline uh, of my parents. And the entrepreneurial side, um, what uh, initiated that? <laughs> now, now I might lose some clients. Um, my, my first business was uh, ready to help me pay my way through, uh, through university, and it was, uh, believe it or not, a mobile disco. Um, I have an ongoing and constant love for, for music in any shape and form. Um, and here was a chance for me to uh, play music for people who loved listening to music uh, and, to, and to earn an income whilst not interrupting my, uh, my university studies. It was a lovely way uh, to uh, at least contribute to, to getting my way financially through, through university. Right. As your career has progressed over the years and you've involved yourself in various ventures and even the, the, the lecturing side of things, what would you say are some of the lessons learned over the years that you would happily pass on to the next person? Uh, I think one of the most <clears throat> valuable components in, in life, society, business, is trust. Uh, and I have a a very powerful memory of my father telling me at a young age that trust is one of the things that's most easily broken and almost impossible to to restore. I think that's an enduring uh, feature of, uh, as I say, you know, business, society, family, uh, parenting. Uh, keeping your head down, uh, keeping your eye on the ball, following through. To borrow from cricket analogies, that uh, there is no such thing uh, as an easy day or an easy week or an easy year. Uh, to build a business, to run a business, uh, to manage uh, a business, and I think especially from zero, is, uh, is incredibly hard. It's extraordinarily rewarding, but it's, it's tough. It requires discipline. Right. Because we live in a world where there's so much happening, and this is going to be my last question before I let you go, and so much is happening, there's a lot of noise, it's very easy to be depressed and not excited anymore. What's the one thing you're excited about when it comes to the way in which the world is going, be it on the tech side, be it on uh, any interest that, I suppose, excites you? Stephen Pink has a fantastic book out which talks about uh, or which demonstrates, I think, our loss of perspective, that it's so easy to talk about the negatives, yet there's, uh, there is a raft of positives that, uh, that I think overwhelm, that swamp the negatives. Uh, life expectancy, longevity, uh, infant mortality, incomes per person are substantially better today than they were uh, 20, 50, 100 years ago. We lose sight of that, and I think we are on a relatively steady march to an increasingly better world. And you know, technology is a great economic uh, 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 and social mobilizer. And in my business uh, career at Canon Asset Managers, you know, one of the small ways in which we can contribute is by you know, modest nudges. You can you can change people's uh, you can change people's futures with very small nudges in investment and financial behaviour. You can put a person in a completely different and substantially better 
retirement or uh, investment future. All right, Dr. Savile, thank you so much for your time this morning. That is Dr. Adrian Savile, who is the CEO of Canon Asset Managers. The winner of a 28 million rand lottery ticket claimed his prize a day before the ticket was expiring. Don't leave a good deal until it's too late. SMS CAR to 37135 or call 086060000. 000. And Outsurance will either give you a lower car insurance premium or 400 rand if they can't. Haven't had a car claim in three years? They'll make it 800 rand. Either way, you won't miss out on monthly savings or cash. So try your luck. That's car to 37135 or 0800 08600 60000. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. TCs and standard rates apply. This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Right, so it's 7.54. Let's get to the final part of the show. It's our last six minutes. But here we go. So a lot of company news having come out. Uh, uh, where shall we start there, Michael? Shall we start with the good news, Impala Platinum? Yeah, I mean, they uh, were generating 3.2 billion rands worth of cash in six months, uh, paying down debt substantially. And it just it highlights uh, resource stocks in general. It's either feast or famine. They swung from a loss to a huge profit. Um, and uh, palladium playing part of a role in that. Um, uh, most palladium mines in South Africa, it's one part palladium, four parts platinum. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, luckily the palladium price is uh, playing game. So it's still not a and, – and I mean, I know you guys don't like the resource counters themselves, but uh, it's still clearly not necessarily a long-term game because palladium won't necessarily stay up for that long, you know, at these prices. Yeah, I mean, as soon as the prices go up, uh, people are – the manufacturers are finding ways to not use your product. Mm. And that's not a great place to be in. Um, and part of the reason palladium is done so well is you go back to the VW scandal, what was it, 2015 yeah, – yeah. Uh, palladium is was mostly used or palladium is mostly petrol cars platinum is mostly diesel cars you have vw scandal where diesel cars are no longer popular and the shift to petrol cars and away from diesel cars and that's why palladium's done so well but having said that it's there is technology to swap these where you can use platinum instead of palladium and the reason they used palladium in the first place was because platinum was too expensive so Yeah, you can get an idea of what's going to happen in the next year or two. It's going to get very difficult there as well for that space. Uh, just with regards to earnings, uh, headline earnings, you got uh, 310 cents per share from a loss of 21 cents per share uh, in the prior period as well, or comparative period, shall we say. Let's get into that retail space as well. MassMart bring out results for the 52 weeks, ended 30 December as well, 2018. Total sales of 90.9 billion rand. Have they done as well as we would have thought in South Africa? Yeah, it's tough. Um, they got the advantage that they uh, span the whole retail space. They're not only focused on one area. Yeah. Um, but uh, some of their divisions is deflation. And to operate as a retailer in a deflationary environment is very, very difficult because mm-hmm. your fixed costs keep going up, but a lot of your uh, input costs are, are or, or your selling prices are coming down because of a lack of demand. So it's, it is a tough place to, to, to uh, operate. Um, I wonder what the guys at uh, Walmart are thinking after, when did they buy this, 2012, if yeah. I remember correctly? Yeah. Um, uh, they, they pay a lot of money for it, and they haven't yet seen uh, the recovery on investment. But it's all retailers in general at the moment are struggling, um, and we desperately need growth.
Yeah, I want to continue with some of the uh, the earnings results, but very quickly, got to touch on some uh, some sort of breaking news as well now. Now, the world famous toy retailer Hamleys, uh, which is the South African franchise operator, uh, is in financial trouble. It has actually been put into business rescue, and uh, I must say, one wouldn't be surprised considering one the retail space we've just spoken about with regards to MassMart, where headline earnings, nonetheless themselves, have gone down around thirty-two percent, somewhat. Uh, but it tells you that uh, things like toys are almost falling by the wayside, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, a very much special specialty uh, retailer. Mm. Uh, toys is one of the big areas where online is a uh, big competition. And we've seen the likes of Toys R Us file for bankruptcy in the U.S. and yeah. shut their doors. Um, and unfortunately, Hamley's locally, you, it's an expensive toy sh- store. Um, so you're at, at the premium end of, of clients. So it's, yeah. it's just tough in general. Um, and then there's a knock-on e- impact on, on the malls that host these um, uh, retailers. I mean, Attack, who have uh, Mall of Africa, say that they're busy looking for new tenants to replace Hamley's. Uh, fortunately for them, Hamley's is a, a relatively smaller store. They're saying only about 1% of their, their total space. So it's not not the end of the world, but it's it's not good to see. Uh, it's never good to see a business fail. Yeah, never, ever. Okay, between Imperial and Liberty, which shall we go for? Liberty is always hard to read, though. And it hasn't done so well, really, really of late. Even a whole restructuring for the company. Yeah, I mean, look, we don't own Liberty, so I don't have any insights there. But I've got the Imperial numbers in front of me, yeah, so let's, let's touch on those. Let's get into that. Um, uh, well, that revenue of around six percent going up there to twenty-six point six billion. Yeah, so it's uh, these numbers are a bit more tricky to uh, have a look at because it's the first time since uh, the, the motor divisions have been spun out. So mm. this is more focused now. Um, but overall, they're saying headline earnings down 23%, or 31%, sorry, and the dividend down 40%. Yep. Um, so it shows you that things are tough. Um, and uh, particularly when you at the coal face of the economy, um, it's a struggle out there and it yeah. just highlights again the need for economic growth we can't have growth of one one and a half percent it's just not good enough yeah certainly isn't well folks let's leave it there Tash yeah we'll be you know around you can follow <laughs> us uh, <laughs> on uh, Twitter yeah and your just handle is just Tash right, two that's words. just Tash yeah. on Twitter as well mine is uh, it's, it's two words you say yes just Tash not as in like it's just, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> no, I, get you. I actually fully understand that one. Mine is at Aravile G. Of course, you can continue to follow us. We will be, of course, in the space. Financial markets, indeed, is the space we follow up on. To everybody who's been part of the show, thank you so much for following us, being a part of this, and I uh, hope to continue the financial journey beyond just where we stand. From us, it's goodbye. Michael? It's 8 o'clock.